Hi. As um, I've been reminded a couple times, and I can't believe that I haven't mentioned it, that um, that many Italians, it's called malachi. Malachi, right? I, I, I've known that forever, and I usually make a wisecrack about it, but I hadn't the whole time. I've just been serious. And you guys who are not serious about this are reminding me, hey, you're still in that Italian book that we're in. Huh? It's like, yes. <laughs> anyway, so we're in the book of Malachi or Malachi chapter 2. Last week we started it. This week we're going to finish chapter 2. Got to let you guys know, I didn't know what I was going to be doing today. Uh, my, my mind has been all over the place. I'm just going, okay, Lord, I'll prepare a study, but if you want to change something last minute, you change it. And uh, even as we were praying before we came out here, just praying, Lord, here we are, man, whatever you want to do, if you want to change things up. And, and sometimes I just throw stuff at our worship leader, and I told him at least an hour ago, hey, if we're going to do the study, just do one song. And then I'm going to get up there and share, and then we're going to do worship. So he's very flexible with that. But I said, but if we don't do the study, make sure you have a plethora of songs somewhere that we can do worship and praise. So we're going to do the study. And so the prophet Malachi continues in his unique style of, of, of writing, as we've been covering in the last uh, several weeks, the book of Malachi. Um, his style is more of a debate than it is just a regular um, letter that we read from some of the other prophets. And this debate is going on between God and, and the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And last week, we didn't see much of a debate. Um, it was more a charge, a discipline, if you will, uh, to the priest after being rebuked. Um, and when they start, and, and, and when the the debate started, they, there was a rebuke that came along, and it's kind of interesting because in the style that that Malachi is writing in, it's almost like God makes the charge, and then these guys kind of rebut that charge, and then He puts them in their place. And I don't know if that's the way it goes with you when you're arguing with God, but that's kind of the way it always ends up. That if He brings something up, and you're going, really, when, how, why? And then he kind of puts us in his in our place, and that was at the end of chapter chapter one where that rebuke was was going on. But right right now we're in Malachi chapter two. We finished in verse nine last week, and so let's pick up in verse ten. It says, "Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us?" Why do we deal treacherously with one another? By profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem with Judah, uh, for Judah has profaned the, holy, the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tent of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. This is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? 
because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion, the wife of the wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with Violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice. Father, please bless this time as we go through this portion, Lord. You know where my heart is at. You know where my head is at right now, Lord. You know the things that that you have just shown me throughout this time of studying and looking at this, Lord. And so, Father, please go before us as we cover this portion. Um, Amen. And so having dealt with the sins of the priests, Malachi now turns his attention towards the nation of Israel as a whole, towards the nation. And he confronts the men who have been divorcing their wives to marry pagan women. But understand this, that, that the priests have also been a part of this as well. They're not innocent, <laughs> And whether they were the ones that started this or, or the people were the ones that were doing it and they never stopped to stop or never said anything to stop them is not so much the issue. The fact of the matter is that they didn't, they didn't stop it altogether when it started, it started rolling, when it started coming down in, in this era, in this time. They, they, they had not dealt with it the way they should have dealt with it. So before we get into the sin against God in the family, the prophet Malachi addresses the sin against the brotherhood because that's what this portion covers is the, the, the fact that they were sinning, not just against the family, but, but he prefaces it with the sin of the brotherhood, how, how they were beginning to treat one another. And so in verse 10, he says, uh, he, he starts off by asking three questions in one verse. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? So here we have three questions that he, that he asks here. Now, instead of this initial charge or, or statement on the part of God that, that he normally makes towards the people, the prophet kind of asks this pretending question to the people, because because this question, because they were they were acting innocent, as if they hadn't done anything wrong, and so he's kind of asking them, why are we doing this in the first place? And so this question here is not so much from the Lord, although it is because he's using Malachi, 
But, but he begins, instead of the debate, he begins with these questions, albeit from, from the Lord. Now, again, as he has started other debates, the point is presented from the onset. Whereas God already knows what the answer is, but he, he makes a point right from the very beginning to initiate the conversation. And here, the, the, the prophet, it seems, instead of initiating, initiating a conversation, a debate, he just asks these simple questions of the people. After dealing with the priests, he asks these questions. Have we not all one father? And this reference to one father is probably similar, parallel, equivalent to what he asks in the second question. Don't we have one God who created us? And so that father is in regards to God and not so much as some suggest Father Abraham. Basically, because when you look at it, the word father is is in, 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 uh, in capital letters as, as the word fathers at the end of the sentence or the questions is, is small. So he's not talking about, don't we have one father, which is Abraham, because they all went back to Abraham. No, he's talking that, that this is God. He's, he's talking about God being our father, the one father. And he's talking to the nation of Israel. Israel was likened to God's firstborn son in Exodus 4, 22. It says, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And in Hosea, he kind of reiterates it again in Hosea 11, 1, when he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, saying, uh, And I called... And out of Egypt, I called my son, as the Lord is, is speaking about Israel. And so, again, you see this relationship that God is wanting to have with his people ever since he pulled them out of, the, out of Egypt, that he would be their father. He would be the one that takes care of them. And so they, the, the prophet is initiating this question, saying, aren't we all or don't we all belong to one father? Has not one God created us? And even though God is the creator of all creation and all men are created in his image, the prophet is making a distinction here between all of creation and the nation of Israel. It's predicated by the, the fact that in the third question, he mentions the covenant of the fathers. In other words, again, he is talking about the nation of Israel here. He's not talking to the world at large. He's not talking to all the nations. He's talking to a specific people. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's talking to the priest and to the people who have been in this sin. And now they're, they're coming against one another and not treating each other with respect the way they should. The fact that God had created Israel to be a distinct people on the earth forms the background or the basis for, for the problem that Malachi is addressing here and or discussing here. He, he, he's asking these questions because he's getting to something bigger. And so he's kind of preparing them 
for the question or for the debate that we'll take on from 11 to 17 and further. And so he's preparing them with these questions. Even though there would be those who would say, well, all men come from the same parents, Adam and Eve, aren't isn't everybody? Don't we all have the same father? Everybody has the same father. After all, aren't we all children of God? And I don't know if you've ever heard that or had to debate that with people when, when you're talking about God the Father. It's like, well, he's everybody's God. And it's like, no, he's not. You know, we're all children of God. No, we're not. You know, it's interesting because even Jesus himself says, as he's dealing with the religious leaders and they're claiming that they have one father, that they are all from Abraham. And he says, if Abraham was your father, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. But he goes on to say in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. And, and, and the apostle Paul even states in Galatians chapter 3, verse 20, 26, it says, for you are all sons of God through faith. In Jesus Christ. Not everybody is a son of God. You have to become a, a son of God. The Bible tells us that as many as received them, to uh, received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You see, again, when Adam and Eve failed, when they sinned, they basically handed the title deed to the enemy, and he is the prince and the power of the of the of the air, and he is the ruler of this world, and we are all born into sin. And so we all are under that fatherhood and it is not until we accept Jesus that he becomes our father and so here he is talking to the nation of Israel in particular and and they have they have been called to be his not all the nations were 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 of God Israel was the only one that he had made this covenant with and he wanted this relationship with. It's interesting because we look at the relationship here and we're talking about uh, God being our father and yet you look at the nation of Israel and Israel had become the wife of God as well in that sense. And so there, he wanted this intimacy with them. And so the prophet is here asking, don't we, just ha don't we all have one father? Aren't we created, all created by God? And he says, if that is the case, then why do we deal treacherously with one another? And so this is the third question in this one verse. Why are we treating people uh, treacherously? And he uses that phrase, deal treacherously, um, here in this text, but he ends up, or in this verse, but he ends up using it some five times in our text total. That word or, or that phrase to deal or dealt treacherously. The phrase deal treacherously has to, um, has its meaning um, from the Strong's and one of the other ones that I looked up. The primary root to cover with a garment, figuratively, to act covertly by implication to pillage. And so again, it's, it's, it's almost like to take away, to, to do something under the cloak of darkness, to, to do something that, that, that is not right. One of the other uh, dictionaries says um, to act or to deal treacherously means to act or deal faithlessly. 
deceitfully to offend. And so, so the prophet is basically saying, if we have one God and, and we are all created by this one God, why do we treat each other uh, and deal with each other faithlessly, deceitfully, and in an effort to offend one another? You see, the people as a whole were breaking faith, dealing treacherously, acting unfaithfully with respect to the prior argument and or covenant that they had with God. In other words, they were breaking instead of building. They weren't building up. They were tearing down. They were coming at each other, which is quite the opposite as I was thinking about this phrase um, and what it truly means to, to break faith, you know, to, 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 to separate, to, to deal unfaithfully. I thought, man, what a contrast to what we've been learning on Sunday mornings when the church is coming together and we're talking about unity, we're talking about being in one accord instead of causing discord and, and all of those kinds of things. And so this is what's happening here. This act, uh, this act of treachery that, that is happening in and among the children of Israel at this time um, that the prophet is concerned with. And at the same time, I'm sure the Lord is as well was just another way of profaning the, the covenant that God had made with them. They, 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 they are sinning, they are despising, they are defiling this covenant of brotherhood that we are to have, that they were to have. They are like just decimating it. And, and not only that, they're sinning against the Lord at the same time as they are breaking up the brotherhood. Why are we treating one another this way? And so he prefaces these questions as he now dives into verse 11 and 12, where he says, Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. What has been charged in the form of these questions that we looked at in verse 10 was, was then explained in these verses. You, you, you're dealing the way you're dealing with one another, but now he's taking it even a step further, not only with the brotherhood, but you're taking it home. You're, you're now doing this in, this in this place where you should be faithful to the very end. He says you are beginning to deal treacherously, unfaithfully, is what the, 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 the prophet has in mind here. And, and this, this dealing with treachery and, and unfaithfulness that, that he, is, he is calling out, as, as he's also calling an abomination, a detestable thing in the sight of God. In other words, it is something that is abhorrent, repugnant, and, and, and repulsive to God. And, and it's not light words that he's using here. He's not just saying, oh, God's a little upset with the way that you are now 
you, you've dealt treacherously with the brotherhood, but now you're bringing this into the family and now you're doing this to, to, the, to the institution that God truly loves. You're bringing it home. You're bringing it in this place of oneness. You are now being unfaithful in this oneness that God detests what you're doing. And, and, and the word abhorrent or, or repugnant or, or repulsive are, are words that, that kind of bring a stench you know, it, it brings a stench to, to the nose of God when, when these things are being done. He says, you have profaned the Lord's holy institution, this abomination, this ab abominable unfaithfulness involves the profaning of something that is holy in the eyes of God. And the phrase, the Lord's holy institution, is translated in some of the other translations as the holiness of, of the Lord. Also the holy sanctuary of the Lord. It's also translated, I think in the NIV, the, the Lord's beloved sanctuary. These, these are the words that are being used for this holy institution that, that, that is being mentioned here, that they had to do with holiness. They had to do with the sanctuary. They had to do with something that was so beloved for God. The word holiness means apartness or separation. And it can refer to the sanctuary of the Lord because he had set that apart because that's where his spirit would dwell. That's where his Shekinah glory would, would shine in the sanctuary, in the holy place, in this, in this place. Um, it can also refer to the covenant that God made with his people. It can refer even to the people because he had set them apart. But quite simply or quite frankly, it, it, this holiness, it speaks of holiness itself. That God is holy. And, and, and when we are dealing treacherously with our brotherhood and then bringing it into our marriage or into our home, God says, man, I detest that. I abhor that. It is repugnant to me that anybody would treat one another this way because he has made them one. And when you think of the holy institution of God, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 2, when God institutes this thing called what we call marriage. It, it is a holy institution that God himself made. It, it, it was something that, that he did. It was something that he wanted. The context that we're looking at here, again, when we're talking about the holy institution, it is speaking about marriage. And he says, it is one of those things that God loves because he is the creator of marriage. And, and, and he created this because there was something holy about it. Because in no other relationship do people become one. And that's what he was talking about when he, when he says it's not good that man should live alone. Poor Adam, man, was a, this, this poor smuck that was all alone. And, and I don't know how long he was without a woman, but, but he just, I mean, I'm sure there was just this like sadness in his face. And God says it's not good that man should be alone. After creating everything, he said, man, it is good, it is good, it is good. Even when he created man, he said it is very good. But as time passed, he realized this is not good for man to be alone. 
And so he creates this woman and he brings the woman to the man. And, and, and it tells us there in, in Genesis chapter 2 that, that Adam is so enthralled with this creature after seeing all these other creatures that didn't fit his mold, that didn't give him any kind of woo, you know, that, 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 that he brings this creature to him. And, and Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And I often think it's like, yeah, right. You didn't say that. You just said, whoa, man. <laughs> Hence the word woman. He was just so enthralled with this creature that didn't look like anything else. And, it, and, and in that portion, he says... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And in that very moment, God institutes the oneness. He institutes his, this holy institution that we call marriage, that God said, they are now one. The reason they had become one is because they had this intimacy, this intercourse, that God says that is now one because that's the closest you can be with another human being and that is what makes them one. And it's interesting because he says in that oneness and in that frame that God had instituted, the very next verse, he says, and, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And I truly believe that in the, in the institution of marriage, in this, this oneness, this, this holiness that he creates when man becomes one with a woman, that he says there will be no shame when it's in that holy institution. Anything outside of that. <laughs> anything outside of that. Anything outside of that. Not just in the physical, but even Jesus brings it up a notch and he says, if you ever even think of a woman in that way, you've committed adultery. Your mind has gone in that direction. And so again, in that time, in that frame of this holy institution, God says, I love it. I love when couples become one. And every time they become one, every time they do that act, they're representing this holy institution that God has, has set in motion. Because in that, whether Christian or not Christian, there's something special about becoming one. Because we, we often look at this holy institution as only something that, that's for Christians or for believers. But yet, in Hebrews 13, it tells us that all marriage, all marriage is, is, is good in the eyes of the Lord. All marriage. The bed is undefiled in all marriage. And so in, that, in, that, in the context of this marriage, this institution, God says, I love it. I truly love it. And when we sin against our marriage or, or, or in marriage or, or our marriage vows, we sin against something that is holy to God. He has set it apart, apart from any other relationship. He has truly set it apart, and it means something special to him. In this day and age, it just doesn't seem special anymore. But for God, marriage and the vows are something special. And he did that on purpose, because there's a purpose for that. There's a purpose for, for, for man and wife becoming one and staying one. 
when we sin against our marriage and or our marriage vows, we sin against an institution that God himself has established. I've shared this often in marriage things, but the only thing that came out of the Garden of Eden was marriage, the institution of marriage. That's the only thing. Everything else stayed in there. And I truly believe that in this institution of marriage, that man and wife can have the closest thing to paradise here on earth within the bonds of marriage. And we make it what we want. <laughs> it could be paradise or it could be not paradise. But I truly believe that because that's the, really the only institution that came out of that, I truly believe that we can have what they had in the garden before sin, that we can truly have that in our marriages because God thinks it's good and he established it and he allowed it to come out of the garden and to continue. And so marriage is God's idea, not man's idea. He is the one that formed it. He is the one that established the first marriage. And he made that one to be a pattern for all other marriages, to, to have one man and one woman for life. I truly believe that God just wanted one man and one woman to see each other naked and nobody else. I truly believe that. Unfortunately, that just doesn't happen but that's what he wanted because he didn't want anybody else seeing any of this private stuff that he instituted for marriage and marriage alone. And when we go outside of that, regardless of what that is, whether it's, it's outside the marriage physically or mentally or whatever it is on, the, on a video screen or whatever the case is, we go outside those bonds. And there's shame that's associated with that all the time. That's why he says, no, the man and his wife, they were naked and not ashamed because in that bound, in that institution, he said, it is good. I've created it. Nobody else can change it. I don't care what the world tries to do with marriage today. And they could call it whatever they want, but they, they didn't establish it, so they really, as much as they want to define it, only God defines what marriage is. It's one man, one woman, and he wanted it for life, right? And so that's what he wanted. This institution, it is because of that that we are now not allowed to define it. God's the one that defines it. He's the one that creates it. And so we, we are to conform to what he has established. And again, the enemy hates this relationship to the max. And that's why he continues to come after it and try to define it so that people don't think it's that important. In God's economy, it is still important. I don't care if people get married that are of the same sex. I don't care what they do. They are not man and wife or man and man or woman and woman or whatever. God created it to be one man, one woman for life. And so when we sin against our marriage or our marriage vows, we are actually sinning against what God truly, truly loves. God loves marriage um, because it displays um, this relationship that he wants to have with us. As Jesus told, told God the Father in John 17, Lord, make them one as we are one, that they may be one with us. And there's this closeness, there's this intimacy because this intimacy of sexual relationship is not just physical, it's not just emotional, it is a spiritual thing. 
And it's that deep. And that's why God says it displays our relationship with God. And it displays um, that, that uh, marriage is good for, for, for our society as well. It is the, it is the, the, the marriage the, the bonds of family that keep society going. And this is why we are where we're at because as, as marriages are being destroyed, even within the church, then it, it destroys society. And many of us here have dealt with those kinds of things and we see the product of what this has done. And so, again, it meets the needs of, of men, of women, and of children. And it, it keeps families... Those who, who, who strive for this, it keeps them protected in so many different ways. And so it says that they went on to marry <clears throat> uh, foreign wives. And, and, and again, this, this phrase refers to the fact that, that the children of Israel were now getting married with women who worship false gods. And it's interesting because all the, 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 the dangers of this ungodly intermarriage marrying that was going on, again, spoken of in the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, the, it was forbidden and it, because it led people away from the Lord. It wasn't about a race. It wasn't a race thing. It, 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 it was not that at all. If anything, what, what God wanted is if you're going to marry outside, then you bring them in and let them know the true living God. But God knew the proclivities of man. He knew what their propensities were. It's like, I want something out there. I want something more exciting. And we see that because we see some of the men from the Old Testament that went after foreign wives, as we see in, in Numbers 25, when when uh, when when uh, Balaam tells uh, uh, Baal Peor or whoever the guy was, it says, "If you can't, if we can't curse them, send the women in there, because these guys will go after them." And it drew them away. And we see that even with King Solomon, right? That King Solomon was drawn away from the Lord because of the foreign women. And so, again, it's not that God was against other races or other nations. He just knew you guys have the propensity of going that way instead of drawing them this way. And that is why it's important that as believers that we are not to be associated or, or, or what's that say? To not to be unequally yoked, that a believer should not be together with an unbeliever. It's much easier for a non-believer to drag you down than for you to drag them up. And I know all the excuses out there, but I love him. And it's like, how dare you, you let yourself get to that point? You know, that you would fall in love with somebody who is not walking in the same way as you are. That, that's a danger. And I don't care if you're a little high schooler or whatever. It's drawing you away from who God is. Instead of drawing them closer to God. Yeah, but if I witness to them, it's like, well, let God minister to them away from you. Don't get connected with that. Because there's a danger. Because, again, I could tell you, I could write the end of the story for you. Yeah, but there's some who, and it's like, dude, that's very rare. <laughs> it doesn't always happen. And so, again, um, let me just speed up because I thought I didn't have much to say here. But I, apparently I, I do. But um, 
So anyway, so he continues on to say, may the Lord cut off the tent of Jacob, the man who does this, being awake and aware, which was an idiom in, the, in those days that, that says, whoever you are, um, everyone, um, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. He, he's saying, no, God will bring, bring a judgment against you for that. He, he's not playing around here when he says, hey, don't allow these things to happen. God will punish the sin of, of going outside the will of God and what God had prepared for the people. And so, again, they're, they're marrying foreign wives. They're leaving their wives behind. They're, 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 they're serving other gods, and yet they're continuing to bring their offerings to the Lord as if God would accept their offerings. And so they get to verse, 11, uh, verse 13. It says, and this is the second thing you do. You, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So... So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receives, nor receive it with goodwill from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt treacherously. She is your companion and the wife of the covenant. In other words, these people are coming in tears and they're, 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 they're groaning and they're saying, why aren't you paying any attention to me, God? Why aren't you accepting my offerings as I bring them to you? It's as if you don't have pleasure in it. Like, well, of course not. He's been a witness to all the things that you've been doing. You have left your wife and you have left your family to go seek after foreign gods, to go seek after other women. And because of that, you're destroying the family. And yet you're coming to God going, but Lord, you totally understand. He's going, no, I don't even accept it. It's almost like their prayers are just getting, not even reaching the ceiling. And they're getting upset and they're crying. Why is it that you're not receiving this with goodwill? Because you're sinning. <laughs> is basically what he's saying. You cry out and say, why don't you accept my worship? And he says, because I've been a witness of what you've been doing. And it's so interesting because as men and women, I'm going to throw women in there too. As men and women, as, as people, we think that we can truly get away from all the things that God is a witness to. We think that if we just do it in secret, if we just do it here and there, if it really isn't to that degree to where it would truly be called sin, and yet God says, all of it has been sin. Even your deception because you have dealt treacherously. You have been unfaithful. Not just to me and not just to your brethren, but you have brought it into your marriage. And again, I guess I could, I could just point out the guys here, but man, oh man, I've been in ministry way too long to say it's just men. It's women as well. That the proverb says that a woman can destroy the household in, in, in no time flat as well. And so there's this, this competition that's happening. And, 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 and Satan, he's not a respecter. He doesn't care if you're a man or a woman, man. If he could get you to mess up your marriage, he will do it in a heartbeat. And he will use this, this oneness against each other. So, so if there's not this oneness happening, he brings in this, 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 
this wedge to, to, to bring you guys apart. And maybe these guys were going, well, it wasn't happening at home, but these foreign women, man, they're crazy. And I'm going that away. And so again, he's going, you're, you're crying about not being listened to by the Lord. You're bringing these offerings and I'm not accepting them because I've been the witness between you and the wife of your youth. It could be that these tears were also from the wives that were coming and going, why is my husband leaving us and their family to go after other gods? And so again, whatever the crying was, yet God is telling them here, you have not been faithful to the wife of your youth. You have not been faithful to the vows that you have committed to one another. In verse 15, where it says, didn't he make them one? And why one? Why? He says, for godly offspring. He made them one. And, and again, he's talking to the children of Israel because he knew that it would be through the, ch the children of Israel that the Messiah would one day come. And he wanted this, this oneness. There was this protection that he wanted because he knew what, what this would entail. But not only that, he wanted people to follow after him. He wanted the nation of Israel to be the witness to all the world. And if you stay together, if you don't go after other gods, then you can proclaim me to all the other nations. You can go out because I want godly offspring from you and from the other people that you bring into the fold that they may bring godly offspring. He says, take heed to yourself. Pay attention to what is happening here and, and let none of you de deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. And verse 16, a powerful, powerful verse because he says, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence. Therefore, uh, says the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to yourself that you do not deal treacherously. When a man in the, those days, again, like in our days, a man brings an engagement ring. Back then they would bring a garment and cover the, 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 or the, the, the one that they are betrothed to. And it covered them with protection, with, with comfort, with all of these things. He says, but when you go outside and when you begin to, to divorce, you're taking that off and just letting the violence and all the ugliness come into what should have been a safe place within the bonds of marriage. He says, but you are destroying it. You are bringing in this violence. And, and if we, we've learned anything here in this study is that when he talks about the holy institution, you were very clear on what God says about that. He says, I love that. And yet when it comes to divorce, he says, I hate that. And that's a very powerful word. It doesn't mean that he's just like, well, I totally understand. Irreconcilable differences. It's like, no. No, he hates it. He hates it with a passion. And I know that there's certain speculation or certain things that, that we're given in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament of what would constitute a divorce. But God hated it all the time. All the time he hated divorce. Never did he enjoy divorce. Even though with these people, we, we see that Ezra and Nehemiah, man, they dealt with these people and they pulled these guys' beards out and they, 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 they made them, in one instance, divorce these, these pagan women to go back to their families. And I, again, it's a hard situation that what they were going through. But God hates what they were doing. 
They were leaving the comforts of home. They were destroying homes. And many people, again, I never, I never experienced divorce in my life. But I've dealt with a lot of people who have had to deal with divorce. And they were kids when their parents divorced. And they never forgot it. And I've dealt with adults whose parents have been divorced. And they still are dealing with it. Because it's ugly. And people say, no, it was the best thing that could have happened. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> God, God wants us to stay together. What God has brought together, let no man separate. And it's interesting because when, the, when Jesus was confronting, confronted with this question, he basically said it was because of the hardness of the heart that, I, that Moses allowed divorce. Because I truly believe in Christian, in Christian circles and outside of Christianity, God always gives couples, I don't care who they are, an opportunity to forgive. Because forgiveness is possible. And again, I know that there's violence and there's ugliness at times. And, and again, to separate might have to happen. But again, it's, divorce is ugly. It, it, it tears apart the fabric of what God had brought together. And I, and, and I know some would look at me and say, yeah, but you don't understand. And you're right, I don't. But I know what God says. He loves the institution of marriage and he hates divorce. That's, that's what he says here. And I truly believe that he says that because he knew what it would do to man and wife. Because as much as you want to separate, it's never a clean separation. Even if there's no kids involved, it's never a clean situation. And when there are kids involved, it just gets uglier and uglier. And people can, can maintain and they can, they, can, they can work through things. I totally understand that, especially when they come to the Lord and they realize, i got to stop being a witch or i got to stop being this or that. And I say that about women because women, anyways. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is that it, it, it's never that clean cut. Because people say it was the best thing that happened. And I've talked to people who have lived through that, that it might have been the best thing, but they carry it on to their marriage. And they're frightened because it could happen to them. And it begins this vicious circle of, well, if it doesn't work out, man, we're bouncing out of here. And it becomes ugly. And our society is in the mess that it's in because of that. And any society that just promotes that will fall apart eventually because that's not the way God intended it to happen. And so the last verse here, it says, you, you have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? Now, it's an interesting problem here or, or an interesting um, statement that is made here because the Lord never gets weary in the physical sense. He never gets tired. But he does grow weary of sin in his people. The fact that they would say something and do something else that they would continue in the way that he's told them not to go. 
The children of Israel had wearied the Lord in their iniquity. And the remnant that, that Malachi is dealing with in these, with these people have become critical and cynical, saying, Lord, you brought us back to the land. We rebuilt the temple. We restored worship. And look at the difficulties that we're in. It seems that, that, that what was that age-old problem, why do the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Why is that happening? We see that with Job. We see that with Asaph. We see that with Jeremiah and some of the others in the Old Testament when they're going, Lord, why are you allowing all this to happen? And he says, you're wearying me here. Well, where is justice when we need it the most and what the people really needed was mercy instead of justice? They wanted justice. And I'll tell you right now, never ask for justice for yourself. As for mercy, peeps, as for mercy and grace. Because if we're demanding justice, that God bring justice on everybody else, he might just turn it around and say, well, let me start with you. And it's like, no, Lord, let's not get too hasty here. <laughs> so again, he, he, he deals with the treachery, the unfaithfulness, the ugliness that was abhorrent and repulsive in, in, in the eyes of the Lord and how the people were dealing with one another in that way and then they brought it into their families and they were destroying their families. And God's going, I hate it, man. I hate it. And he hates it today. He still hates it today, guys. He really does. And so what I want to do as we now enter into a time of worship, again, we just kind of turned everything around I just want to be able to, to just offer myself up here as we're worshiping. And if you need prayer for anything, man, just come up, man. Sit next to me. Cry with me. I'll cry with you. But if you need prayer for anything, man, I, I want to offer myself up here. I want to offer Gary and Tina. <laughs> I want to offer David and, and Elena up here as well. And these peeps on this side, if you find a woman, go cry with a woman. Go If, if there's something you need to pray with, if, if you want to go to Brian, go to Brian, man. Pray with one another if there's something that you just need prayer for. And so we're just going to spend some time in worship. And then we're just going to just sit here at his, at his side. Amen. Father, I just pray and ask God that Jesus, you would just meet us right now. Lord, it, it's a hard study and yet a necessary study, Lord. Whether we've gone through something like this or not, Lord God, but yet there's so much, Lord God, that, that we deal with in life. Whether we're dealing treacherously with our, with our, our, our brothers and sisters or, or we're doing that with our families, Lord. And Lord, I know that he's, he's talking about husband and wives, Lord God, but I know that we have some kids here who can do the same thing, Lord, to one another. And so, Lord, I pray that even tonight, as we sit at your feet, Lord, as we worship, that, Lord, you would meet us. For those of us who have heavy, heavy hearts right now, Lord God, lift them up, Lord. For those who are battling in marriages, Lord God, heal Right now, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray for, for relationships. I pray for, for, for husbands and wives. I pray for kids and, and parents. I pray, God, for siblings. I pray for all of that right now. 
that you would just check us right now, Lord, and just just put us in check, Lord. <laughs> you know our hearts, Lord. You know that the, the deceit that is there at times that's abhorrent and detestable to you. And Lord, we need to be dealt with. And so, Lord, I, I praise you and thank you that we do have this opportunity. As we worship, we want to honor you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.